Today we observe one of God's holy days with past, present, and future implications. Young people, do you, you people that are young people, do you like it when ministers say young people? Do you like that? Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. I should say age six months to 18 and something uh, for those who are, are listening. I don't know how many six-month-olds uh, are, are, are focusing, but if you're in that category and listening, that's, uh, that's young people. Those here and watching today, uh, never, never forget that the holy days are the holy days of the eternal. These are my feasts, he says. These are my feasts. They're his annual Sabbath, his annual Sabbath that he created for mankind. He created them for you and me, for us to keep. He opened our eyes to see and to understand their meaning. He gave us clarity, casting light upon us, brightness upon us to see the meaning of, of, of life and the meaning of these days. Let's contrast this for a second, or contrast, let's contrast, contrast. Let's contrast this uh, for a second with man's religious Christian devisings. We've got Halloween coming up in a, in a few weeks. Halloween, uh, All Saints Day, the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas itself, New Year's Day, and then, of course, living in the South as we did, then comes Mardi Gras season, starts in early January and runs all the way through till Fat Tuesday, which a lot of people will call Mardi Gras, but Fat Tuesday is when the rioting and the, the laughter and the carrying on and the drinking and, and the, the partying, uh, in, in sometimes in great filth, until then uh, uh, Mardi Gras season ends with Fat Tuesday, and then Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, and they put a little bit of ash on the head that I wondered, what in the world is that when I moved down there? We didn't see that up in Ohio as a kid, but I, I saw ash uh, on, on people's heads. And then they go through Lent, and they give up something uh, during, during Lent uh, until they come to uh, Easter, of course. But then, of course, in between there, we've got uh, Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day. And all of these things, young people, we realize you, you have come out of that. Some, many of you have not ever even been in that to understand that. But that's the, 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 the contrast that's out there versus the things that we understand that God's given us to understand. We're very humbled by that. The light has, has shone upon us to understand that as opposed to these things that are of darkness, that are a mixture of a little bit of good and evil, clouded meanings. What's really going on here? Where did this, uh, this custom originate? Where did this come from? And, and now the sun, the S-U-N, what's this have to do with this? Oh, it ties in with all of this mixture of good and evil. God has called us out and he's given us clarity to understand these things. Clarity that especially as young people we cannot take for granted. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2, a passage to which we often turn as we talk about the effect of the, the, the man of sin, the, the son of perdition, the, the mystery of the man who's behind the mystery of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2, speaks to this, this whole uh, construct that is formed that's part of mystery, Babylon the Great. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, we'll read through uh, all the way through verse 14, but let's start in verse 9. The coming of this lawless one, this is the one who's also referred to as the false prophet, 
that is the great deceiver in the end of the age. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. We understand that the working of Satan is involved in this lawlessness that, that's going on. The, the one in other places that talks about changing times and seasons to fit these, these beliefs that are contrary to God. These, these things are taught, and it's according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception. Again, signs, powers, wonders, but all clouded, all clouded in, in deception among those who are perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God also is involved in this because they have, have gone this path and are under this deception and are fully engaged in that, not loving the truth. For, for this reason, God gives them, sends them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And incredible lies will be taught. Uh, lies from the beginning back to the Garden of Eden of you shall not surely die all the way through to the, the incredible lies that will cause people to believe that the individuals there in Jerusalem at the time of Christ are the very representatives or, or maybe even Christ himself being there uh, serving in that capacity. Such deception that will take place. Verse 12, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But he speaks differently to those of us who have been called and have accepted that calling and have been brought into the light to, under, to understand the truth. Verse 13, but we're bound to give thanks to God always for you, Paul says, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through setting you apart, through being set apart by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, young people, think about what we just kept nine days ago. Think about the Feast of Trumpets and, and the implications of the Feast of Trumpets, what it really, what it really means, the, the impact of that on everything. The value of that. God's given us that, that understanding of, of the resurrection. He's given us that understanding of, of, of the return of our King, the Savior of all mankind, Jesus Christ. The light, the light of its meaning. The events leading up to and culminating with the return of our Savior and King, the one who comes and defeats the armies of this dragon. The armies that have been given the strength and support by this great being this dragon of old, Satan the devil. Look at verse 7. Let's look back to verse 7. He says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It was at work from the beginning of, of, of the foundation of man with Satan's, Satan's lawless acts. But even in, in Paul's time, uh, as the church was dealing with the challenges that it, it was facing, Paul saw as well the, the, the workings of the lawless one uh, with, with respect to uh, the, of, the, the mystery, actually, the mystery of lawlessness, of, of all of the, the things that are behind the effect of what Satan the devil does, as uh, Mr. Bennett talked about his role in being removed uh, on this day. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. And how does he destroy him? 
How, how does Jesus Christ destroy him? He says, in this whole aspect of this, this, this aspect of lawlessness, with the brightness of his coming. With the brightness of his coming. You know, we... We, we see different movies. Maybe you don't watch some of the movies I've seen in my life, but I, I think of some of the different, different movies of, of this being destroyed by the brightness of the light. I, I think of uh, different movies where a nuclear bomb explodes, and, and you'll see all of a sudden it's just this massive bright light, and everything is, is wiped, uh, wiped out. I, I remember uh, a movie that uh, I was lost in sci-fi back in the 70s, but I remember watching Charlton Heston in the Planet of the Apes uh, movies, and there, there was the one uh, beneath the Planet of the Apes, where uh, the underdwellers uh, that lived in, in the city uh, that were fighting against the the apes uh, that were, were coming in and trying to overrun the city, but they had the one, the one bomb that could take care of everything, the doomsday bomb, the alpha and omega bomb. And those of you that watched that movie remember Charlton Heston grabbing that, that throttle or that lever and pulling that down, and everything, everything goes white, complete destruction. Those of you that are Fantasy uh, readers know of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, where there is Aslan, 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 who is uh, the lion, and in this case, the lion of good. It, it's, a, it's an allegory, I, I, I think, uh, Chronicles of, of Narnia with uh, C.S. Lewis, but here, uh, uh, the lion, uh, when he appears, uh, he sacrifices himself in, in one of, uh, one of the, the uh, in one of the books, he also, every time he interacts, he comes on the scene and, and intervenes for them. And it's, it's like an aura of light, aura of light shines on him as this, as this uh, figure who is good. Or even for those of you who have read the, the, the Tolkien uh, series, which in my opinion is, is an allegory, he takes three characters. You think of Aragorn, who is uh, the king, who is the, well, one of the, one of the three books is the return of the king. The return of the king comes back to Gondor and, and rules uh, Gondor. You've got a, uh, an individual with supernatural powers, Gandalf, uh, who wears white garments, and he uses all his powers uh, for good. He comes in uh, in the second book. He comes in uh, from, I think he says, look to the east in the morning, and he comes down and with the bright light as the, the, the good armies come and attack evil, the light shines and the brightness uh, is, is powerful as, as, it comes down, as they come down and defeat the armies in book two. Frodo Baggins, the one, who is, uh, the one who's willing to sacrifice all for the, for the cause that he does. Three different characters. Some would even say Samwise Ganges is, is a bit of a Christ-like figure as well. But, but all of these different things that are out there as, as they depict good versus evil try to depict various attributes of Christ, uh, various attributes of good defeating the evil hordes. Look at Second. Uh, Thessalonians 2 verse 8 again as you read it in your in your Bible I'll read from the the new covenant a new testament translation and then the lawless one will stand revealed whom the Lord Jesus will slay by the breath of his mouth whom he will overwhelm by the very radiance the very radiance of his coming brightness light 
the white horse that we see in Revelation 19 upon which Jesus Christ rides. Every eye will see Christ as lightning strikes in the heavens as they will be all be able to see that of Christ when he returns. We won't turn there, but Matthew 24, 30 states this, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And then, young people, and not so young people, we know what happens next in the plan of God. The Prince of Darkness, along with the one-third of the angelic realm who went along with this great deceiver are cast into this abyss for a thousand years, unable to reach out and deceive humanity, in part pictured by the keeping of this day. Wonder, I wonder how many of your friends are talking about that at school today. You know, you know, around the lunchroom, just a little chat, you know, six-foot distancing, of course, but how many are having that conversation about, about what we're, we're keeping here today? I wonder how many teachers have this incredible moment of what this picture is. I wonder how many teachers have this included in their lesson plans today. You know, just a little, maybe at least uh, provide a little bit of time for that. I speak as a fool, don't I? Uh, it, it, it's... It's so beyond what we would even think of happening in, in today's society. But, but God has given us these precious truths, this precious understanding, and, and, and has also given us a part to play in that. Young people, as you fast and draw near to God today, thank him for this. Thank him for this. It is precious. It is so precious what God has given to each and every one of us. We don't deserve it, yet he's chosen to call us out to give us this marvelous, marvelous understanding and a part to play in it, and a part to play in it. Let's go to Leviticus 16 as we address an aspect of this with respect to the Day of Atonement today. I talked a little bit about the light and uh, the, the breath and the, the light of his coming, the brightness of his coming. The title of uh, today's message is Day of Atonement, Coming into the Light. Day of Atonement, Coming into the Light. Leviticus 16 is uh, the Day of Atonement chapter, as, we'll, as we typically refer on this day. We'll look at verses 1 and 2 here. Now the Eternal spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, which when they offered profane fire before the Eternal and died. Verse 2, And the Eternal said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the, the holy place inside the veil. That's the Holy of Holies. That's the place where the Ark of the Covenant is. And the lid the lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat. He says, don't come in there any time uh, of the year, as, as we know, as, as Mr. Bennett uh, referred in, in the sermonette message. Before the mercy seat, which is on the Ark, lest he die. You're, you're going to die if you go in there at any other time and in anybody else besides the high priest on the Day of Atonement. He says, for I will appear in the cloud 
above the mercy seat. Now we're talking about uh, coming into the light, but, but God is appearing, he says he's going to appear in a cloud in the mercy seat. What, what, are, we, what are we talking about? What, why is that? Why, why is, is that in place? Why did God set that in place? And what threads do we see of that being in place in Scripture? Some of you are ahead of me with that. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Mr. Uh, James Capo, out of the uh, Arizona congregations, gave a message recently and made an interesting point about the Holy of Holies. You've got, you've got the holy place uh, in, in, with uh, the various uh, accoutrements that are there, and then there was the curtain, the curtain that uh, separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. This is the place, as, as you know, where you could only go on the Day of Atonement and the high priest, and, and if the high priest had done everything that he needed to do to be able to go in there without being very dead very quickly. So we, we see all of this setting up here. Mr. Capo made an interesting point that there is no lighting in the Holy of Holies. There was no lighting uh, that was brought in, that, that was already there in the Holy of Holies. Why is that? What, what, what provides the light? Let's look at a couple of passages here as we build on that. 1 Kings 8. Let's go to 1 Kings 8. We'll see two passages that discuss the, the dedication of the temple. This is when the Solomon built the temple, and then they're bringing the ark into the temple and, and setting that up in the Holy of Holies there at, at the temple. 1 Kings 8, verse 6, uh, verse 6. 1 Kings 8, 6. We'll read through verse 13. First Kings 8, verse 6. Okay, so then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Eternal its place, uh, to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place. There was the holy place and there was the most holy place. The most holy place is the same as the Holy of Holies. So, so they, they, they brought that in. Of course, they've got it on poles. We'll see that here in just a second. Under the wings of the cherubim. Now, uh, the, the actual mercy seat on the lid, that, that lid that fit over the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, it had the, the, the cherubim there. But Solomon, as you can see in a previous chapter, constructed these uh, giant cherubim that, uh, that overshadowed that whole room. But, uh, but anyway, that's a little bit of the background there. Okay, so... So he says, uh, to the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim, verse 7, for the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. So the poles run all the way through, and as they're bringing that in, of course, they've got, they can't go into the Holy of Holies, so they've got the poles that, that, that are on the outside of the Holy of Holies, so they don't, they don't go in. But these cherubim that they constructed overshadowed the ark and its poles. Uh, verse 8, the poles extended so that the end of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, which Moses put there at Horeb when the Eternal made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Verse 10, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the eternal. So they, they got out of that area, and then all of a sudden this cloud comes down and fills the house of the eternal. 
so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the eternal filled the house of, of the Lord. So this cloud comes down because God's glory is there, but there's also this, this, this cloud uh, that, that is so impressive and so powerful that they couldn't go in and, and, and minister, even in that area outside. They had to, to leave that. Uh, then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. The Eternal said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I've surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Let's look at another passage. Second Chronicles 7, same discussion here, a few other components. Second Chronicles 7, verse 1. Second Chronicles 7, verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the eternal filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the eternal because the glory of the eternal had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the eternal uh, uh, on, on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the, the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Okay, now, with that in mind, this, this cloud, let's look back to Leviticus 16. We're going to go back now and, and look at what's happening on the Day of Atonement with respect to that. Of, of this ark, this same ark of the covenant that is brought later and, and established there at the temple that Solomon built, we see a similar situation going on here and how how this cloud forms. And we'll get to the, the, the meaning and, and the purpose of that here in just a little bit. Leviticus 16, now let's jump ahead to verse 11. Uh, Leviticus 16, verse 11. So Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, of course, the high priest to go in. He is a man. He is, he is a sinner. He has to have his sins atoned for, so he has to have a, a bull offering for himself. Uh, the uh, he has uh, one for himself, and he has one for the people. But anyway, verse 11, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement, uh, make covering, expiation for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Verse 12, So then he takes this censer, which is it's like a chafing dish or, or a tray, full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the eternal. So he takes that, he gets that in his hand here, and then with his hands, let's see what it says next here, uh, and then with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, so he's got that, and, and then he's, he's got, so he's got the, uh, the, the, the chafing dish of the hot burning coals, and, and he says, and, and then brings that inside the veil, verse 13. He puts the incense on the fire, on that chafing dish where the burning coals were. He puts the incense then uh, on, he puts the incense on the fire before the eternal that the cloud of incense, this cloud, may cover the mercy seat that's on the testimony. So, so he's saying by, by doing that and putting the incense all of a sudden, you get this big cloud that, that clouds everything and it 
to where you cannot actually see this, this mercy seat, the, the lid that is covering the ark, the ark of the testimony. So he says, he, he, he does this, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony for what reason? Lest he die, lest he die. Now, in seeing that, I think the inference is there is that you come in there, even the high priest on the appointed day, linen garments, all cleaned, all washed up, all of the sacrifices so that you are able to even come in there. You look on that mercy seat, you look on that, uh, that is not a good thing. That is not a good thing. So the, the, the cloud has to, to come and, and cover the brightness of the presence of God that is there. Does that make sense? So by, by doing that, it, 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 it covers that area, but God is coming down in brightness. His presence, the Shekinah glory, is there, and the cloud uh, covers that, lest the individual see that and die. Romans 3.25 20, uh, is an interesting passage. We won't turn there. You can look it up later. We've talked about this before. But Romans 3.25 makes the statement that Jesus Christ is the one whom God set forth as a propitiation. We always talk about this in, in baptism counseling. What is this propitiation? The, the Greek word there is hilasterion, uh, I believe is, is probably not how it's pronounced, but I just said it anyway. But uh, that, that Greek word is, is a neuter of a derivative of an expiatory place or thing. That is concretely, it's an atoning victim. The, uh, and it is the lid of the ark in the temple, the mercy seat. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one whom God set forth as a propitiation. God set forth Jesus Christ as the mercy seat. Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice... Is, is, the, is the lid, it, it's the covering of our, of our sins. And, and that was to be clouded so that, that because of the presence uh, of, of, of God, in this case, who would, who would the God being be that was coming down there anyway? It was Jesus Christ. And that's the, the phenomenal thing when we think about the Jews that got, and the Pharisees that got into these arguments with Christ about about what he was and what he was doing and who are you to say this Jesus and here he is the one he is the one whose glory came down there and completely enveloped everything and the cloud uh, formed up around that because of the the uh, of keeping them from seeing the brightness uh, of his actual glory that's there now, again, just, to, just to, to consider this, it's very important for us, even in, in thinking of that, can you imagine being there and being that high priest that is, is coming in, uh, the Jews say they actually came in sideways like this, they didn't come straight in uh, in case they might see that, but they came in sideways and then they got that fire uh, with, the, with the incense going pretty quickly because they knew they needed to get that, that all covered uh, from, from that, that, that presence. So, uh, so, you know, imagine being in that situation and, and seeing and experiencing all that. Imagine being there in Solomon's time when that happens. Imagine being there uh, in Exodus, as, as it's talked about, where this presence comes down. And, and yet, like Mr. Bennett said, uh, 
this is just a type. This is just a little copy, a little copy of what is actually going on now with us. Well, I get ahead of myself. Uh, let's go to Acts 6. Acts 6. The presence of God is manifested as light. And whenever Moses interacted with God, that light from, from, from that manifestation of God uh, remained on Moses' face. God manifests himself at, as light. I was noticing this the other day as I was reading through the Acts uh, account of, of Stephen. And, you know, we'll get to the part where he looks up where the heavens are open and God gives him the ability to see the, the glory that's there. The, again, a manifestation of that. No man has seen God at any time. So, so Stephen would not have actually seen the Father on the throne, but a manifestation of that in that light. But I, I think it's interesting that even prior to that, we see something happening in Acts 6, as, as Stephen is he's defending. He's defending God's way of life. He's defending who Jesus Christ was and what he did and, and, the, and the, the, the gospel message. And, and notice here, breaking into the thought, Acts 6, verse 15. Uh, well, we'll read verse 14. He says, For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered. Uh, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and against the law, verses 13 and 14. But then notice what verse 15 says. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. <laughs> as, as, as Stephen is in the process of giving uh, this defense and he's there, God allowed uh, a type of light to, to come out from Stephen so they, that they could, ex, they could experience visibly that what is going on here. Who actually is working with this person, Stephen? It, it's, it's, it's God the Father through the Spirit. They're, they're, the, the, the light's being manifested. So then we come all the way down to the end, uh, right, right, as he's, uh, right at the time of his, of, of his martyrdom, and look at uh, verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, and, I, and I, there's a lot of imagery here going on for us, as we... Are, are full of God's Holy Spirit, and as we are in our prayers before God, uh, what, what's going on here? But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. Again, uh, we'll talk about that glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand, uh, right hand of God. And, of course, they really freaked out uh, when, when, that, uh, when that took place. But this whole concept of the glory of God, uh, Barnes notes the, uh, states it's the phrase that's commonly used to denote to denote the visible symbols of God, some uh, magnificent representation uh, uh, or light that is the appropriate exhibition of the presence of God. Gill's uh, commentary says, not the essential glory of God, but some extraordinary light and brightness, which was a token representation of him. Clark's commentary, the Shekinah, the splendor, the manifestation of the divine majesty. So, 
he was able to see that, that light, that, that brightness of that light. Let's go back to verse 44 in Acts 7, because it's easy to read this familiar passage about what led to Stephen's martyrdom uh, without considering the, the contrast here that Stephen is making. What's, what's he making when he, when he says all of this? Let's go back. This is very important for us on the meaning of this day. Verse 44, he says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Verse 45, which our fathers, having received it in turn and brought... Uh, and brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David. 46, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place, asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Verse 48, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What, what house will you build for me, says the Eternal? Or what is the place of my rest? Has, has my hand not made all these things? And then he says, you stiff-necked, you stubborn, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers do, did, so do you. Is there any here? who is resisting God, who's resisting or being uncircumcised in heart and ears. We have a tremendous truth that we've been given. How does our conduct reflect this understanding that we have? Let's look at Psalm, uh, Exodus 40. Exodus 40. I won't turn there uh, today, but Psalm 18 is an excellent reference that, that talks about, no, I am going to turn there. I am not going to turn to Exodus 40. Exodus 40 talks again about how even Moses couldn't go in when the, when the glory of God came down uh, upon uh, that area. But let's, let's look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a, a beautiful passage that, that talks about this, this cloud as well as talking about the light. It's very important as we reflect upon the Day of Atonement. Psalm 18, they, it's, a, it's a, a psalm of David as David is, is talking about how God delivered him. But some, some nuggets of truth here contained in this passage. Let's start in verse 7. Uh, he's talking about how God intervened for him. And he's, he's speaking of, of God's sudden decisive action of how... Of, of, who this great God is, the power that he has, and how he manifests himself as he interacts with others. Uh, then the earth shook and trembled, verse 7. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. So God, who is brightness comes down, but he's got darkness under his feet. He's got the cloud that is, is, is surrounding him. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the sky from the brightness before him. He is, he, 
bright, incredible brilliance of brightness. We think of the creator of the universe, the creator of, of, the, of the stars. I was standing outside today. I walked outside to the back deck, and it's just a beautiful day, and I just turned and faced the sun and just felt the, the heat of the sun some 93 million miles away, and that's one little puny sun in, in, in all of, of God's creation, uh, and that's 93 million miles away from me and I'm feeling the brightness of that. Imagine the, the brightness and radiance of God in his full splendor. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals and fire. The eternal thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. And it goes on and on talking about the, the greatness of God. This is this great being. In Exodus 40, uh, I will just refer to that briefly uh, because he, the, the way it, it speaks again to this, this brightness of, of Moses that Moses experiences. Exodus 40, Exodus 40, verse 34. So then this cloud covers the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter uh, the meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the eternal filled the, cloud, the tabernacle. So whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go. When the cloud was not taken up, they didn't go. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night. The words that God put in, in his word that we just read, it's important for us to realize this major, major point. This is only a copy. These, these things that were there are only just little mere copies of what's really going on, Real, just tiny copies, tiny representations of the reality of the reality of the throne of God and what's, what's going on at that place. Revelation speaks to that at least in two places to which we'll look because now we're, we're beginning to get more into not the past, but, but what's going on now at the, throne of, at the throne of God. Revelation, let's look first at Revelation 15. We're in the middle here of, of the of the events leading up to the return of Christ. And, uh, and actually, in Revelation 15, uh, just getting into the final, uh, the final seven bowls that are released uh, at, uh, in succession uh, after the seventh trumpet. Uh, Revelation, 15, Revelation 15, verse 5, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. Okay, so there really is the, the actual, the reality is the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. That, that's where, that's the real thing. So he, so he was able to envision, see this, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven final plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. When this happened, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God from his power. 
And no one was even able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So in the, this, this is there at present, that, that temple, the temple of the Lord has, has always been there. But, but it's there, and even, even as we near the end, uh, getting into the, the time of the seven last plagues, this is going to happen again when God's glory comes into that temple and, and the smoke is manifested from that, and, and nobody can even go in there during that time. Revelation 8, verse 1. Revelation 8, verse 1, uh, at the seventh seal, just before the seven trumpets are sounded. We uh, read this here uh, this past feast, but let's speak to this with respect to an element of the Day of Atonement and an element of our involvement as God's people. Revelation 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given these seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, okay, here we go, here's the chafing dish, the golden chafing dish, he's, he's, he's got this, an angel has that, he came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense, just like the high priest had to get all that incense in his hand, and here they go, here he goes, getting ready to go into this, that he should offer it along with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. God, God, in present day, for us now, as we, as we pray and interact with this being who sits on his throne in the third heaven, our, our prayers go along with that, with the, with the, with the incense, to the throne of God, um, and actually to that, that temple, uh, which, which is before the, the throne. Verse 4, and the smoke of the incense, along with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. The angel took that censer, you know, that, again, that golden uh, chafing dish, that golden plate, filled, with, uh, filled it with fire from the altar, just like the high priest did, and he threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. This is, the, this, this is the reality of, of what all these, these little copies are that we have here on earth, where, where Jesus Christ did come down and his presence was there. But it, it's just a copy of the reality to help us understand God's people, spiritual Israel, the ones who have God's Holy Spirit, who can go into the Holy, Holy, Holy of Holies, of what we're experiencing as, as we interact with this great being in heaven. So now let's go... To Hebrews 9 and look at uh, a better discussion of how this whole process helps us understand what's going on now. Mr. Bennett reflected on some of this. We're, we'll see, uh, we'll actually look at four passages briefly, fairly familiar passages in the book of Hebrews that speak to this. All these things that initially only happened on the Day of Atonement, when the high priests uh, and the high priest's family and all of the children of Israel's sins were covered, were atoned uh, as a type of the reality that, that is with us now. Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9 verse 1. Uh, 
Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and the second veil. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, that's what we've been discussing, which had the golden censer the chafing dish, and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which, were, uh, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. He's talking about these, these small cherubim that were a part of the lid that, that were, overshadowed the mercy seat. Christ is the mercy seat, the propitiation, the expiation. Of these things, he says, you know, we're just not going to go into detail right now. We don't have time, whatever it is. I, I don't know what he's saying. We, we just cannot speak in detail now. He, he, was, he was really wanting to get on to the, the subject at hand. So uh, he says in verse 6, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the service, but into the second part, the high priest went alone. He did it once a year, and he didn't do it without blood being uh, cast, blood being shed, so that his sins were covered, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Verse 8, very important passage. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It, it wasn't open. It was just a type to help, us, to help us understand what is really going on now. What is really going on as you and I live our lives, as you and I interact with, with, with God the Father through the mercy seat. Jesus Christ. This, he says all these things, verse 9, they were symbolic. They were symbolic for the present time, for, for, for now, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. They dealt with foods, drinks, concerning washings, fleshly ordinances, imposed, imposed until the time of reformation. But but now, here's what's going on, he says. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. He was of the priesthood of Melchizedek. He was, he was a Jew. He was, he was not of Levi. The Levitical priesthood switched to the priesthood of Melchizedek, this being that was without beginning of days, without father, without mother, uh, without having any descent. His descent was into eternity, this being that filled this role as the high priest. He says, he's, he came of good things to come with the greater and the more perfect tabernacle. This isn't the tabernacle that's made with hands. This, this tabernacle is not of this creation. Not with blood of goats and calves. He entered with his own special, with his own blood, he entered into the holy of holies once for all. Blood of goats and bulls, if that helps for the purifying of the flesh, how much more, verse 14, shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much will that reality for you and me now cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God, to serve God our Father? For this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. How, how much was that talked about around the lunch table today? Again, young people, wow, you think about what we've been given, the knowledge, the understanding that we have of, of what God is offering us 
and what this day pictures in terms of what he's offered to all of us, young and old, to come into his presence, to be cleansed by, by Jesus Christ and the sacrifice, to be in that merciful situation that we can come into the cloud and be in the presence of, of the bright light, of the bright manifestation of this great being, God the Father. Hebrews 9, verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in, in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. No, these are copies of the true, of what is really true. But Christ has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's what, that's what he's doing now. And when we keep this day, we're reminded of that. He is there. He is in the holy place. He is the sacrifice. He is the high priest for us to come into the presence of God. Tremendous blessing. Hebrews 12, 18. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you've not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burn with fire, and, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, came down in, in, in that fire, and then the cloud completely encompassed the mount, uh, speaking uh, back in the days of Moses. Sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word would not be spoken to them anymore, for they couldn't endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. This is the individual who came into the presence of God uh, on multiple occasions, who was there at the burning bush, the, the bright light. But he says, no, you, you and I, we have come to Mount Zion. We come to the Mount Zion in the heavens. We come to the city of the living God. We are God's people that come to him on his throne in the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of multitudes of angels. So here we are in that situation. And, and how can we as a people get caught up in, in, in the workings that are going on in this earth, in the governments of man that we know as, as we, we, we talked about on the Feast of Trumpets, as, as Mr. Hogberg discussed, the, the things that God has stayed here and there and there until God fulfills his will. This, this is what we're a part of. This is what we have the opportunity to do. The world doesn't have that. Just a few people have been given this wonderful, precious ability to come before the great God of the universe, to come into his presence at his very throne with Jesus Christ there in the brightness of the Lord, to, to, to address him, to interact with him, to become like him, to grow like him, to prepare to serve as kings and priests into eternity. And he's done that because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. As Mr. As Mr. Bennett uh, referenced, therefore, brethren, present day, this is now for you and me, therefore, brethren, having boldness, having this confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We go right in to the throne room of God. We go right in, in a sense, to the, to the temple of God 
by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way which he consecrated for us, let us has allowed us to go through the veil that is his flesh in having a high priest over the house of God. Let us, as his people, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the, con- the confession of our hope. This isn't willy-nilly stuff that we're talking about. This is our interaction with the being of the universe, the being of everything that is good and right and bright and right and powerful and, and the God of love. This is what we have. And as a result, we can draw near with a true heart in, in full assurance of these things, understanding that we're able to come in his presence and interact with him on this level and hold fast this confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised these things is faithful. So we need to consider one another, to stir up and love and, and good works and, and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're assembled here. We're assembled here uh, through the webcast. We're assembled here through being here in presence. We're, we're coming before God to give an offering before him. We're, we're very focused on that and we're stirred up about that. Uh, and, but we're not as the manner of some, just, ah, it doesn't really matter. But instead, we're encouraging one another, exhorting one another so much more as we see that day approaching. It's coming. Let's go back to, to Leviticus 16 now. Leviticus 16. You know, I, I don't want to minimize a statement that we said earlier about Jesus Christ's role at the throne of God. One of Mr. Armstrong's uh, biblical truths he would cover quite frequently that uh, many of you will remember, but one of the things that, that he said was he would often talk about one of Jesus Christ's uh, reasons or one of his purposes for his first coming, and that was to reveal the Father. And it sounds really simple, but it is a precious truth when we understand the nature of God, uh, of who and what God is, who and what the family of God is, these two great beings, the role that these two great beings from everlasting have with one another, the role that, that these two beings have for us now to be a part of that same family of eternity, living with God as his sired children changed to spirit being in the family of God, as, as God family members, Jesus Christ came to reveal that Father. They, the, the people of the day didn't understand. They didn't understand that, that it was often Jesus Christ, the one w- with whom they were interacting in the Old Testament. But he came to reveal the Father, and part of the meaning of this day is to come into that presence, not, not as the high priest came in there that was just a copy, but, but to come to God the Father. We come to God the Father through Jesus Christ. He revealed him, and he made access available for us to, to have a relationship with this great being who has sired us with his seed, God's Holy Spirit. Leviticus 16, verse 29, as a result of all this, again, this is, is just a type. Leviticus 16, verse 29. So as all this is completed on the Day of Atonement, 
Then we see uh, the statement made, This shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. So here we are today. The seventh month, the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict your souls. We are doing that. And you shall do no work, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among them. For on that day, the priest shall make a covering. He shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the eternal. We see the tie-in, as, as we've talked many times, of, of Christ's role as, as in Passover and Christ's role in the Day of Atonement, uh, in, in the cleansing nature of, of our lives that God's given us. It's a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It's a statute forever. Verse 34, this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So that's the present day. Lastly, as we wrap this up, we know the the beautiful meaning of this day where uh, so much of Christianity has no clue of this is the future element to the meaning of this day. We look at... uh, Leviticus 16, verse 22, and we understand the role of the Azazel goat. The one goat was for the sin offering on which the Lord's lot fell, represented by Jesus Christ. But this other one, that is the Azazel goat, verse 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Release the goat into this, this, un, uh, this solitary land. This goat was not killed. Christ's uh, sacrifice, any time it deals with an animal, there was a killing, a shedding of blood. This animal was not killed. Christianity uh, will say that this represents uh, our sins being taken away uh, as far as east is from the west. Is that the phrase? I get that phrase messed up. Uh, taken very far away, and, and, and it, pictures, it pictures that. We do, not, uh, we do not believe that. As we see the plan of God as, we, as revealed through the holy days, um, we see that next, uh, next holy day in place after the Feast of Trumpets. There is a goat that bears on itself uh, the iniquities and a goat that is not killed, but it's taken away for the millennial period. Revelation 20 Verses 1 through 3, we know that passage. We won't turn there. We won't turn there, but we will turn to Leviticus 25 to conclude. Revelation 20, verse 1 speaks to, uh, verses 1 through 3 speak to the, the binding of Satan, this being, and along with the demonic realm that are taken to the abyss and away from the, the influence of mankind for a thousand years. Uh, we understand that significance, and that is a major, major part of the meaning of this day. It is an event, when that happens, it's an event that demonstrates to the entire world the separation of light from darkness and darkness from light. Let's go to Leviticus 25, because we see, lastly, a, another component that has very much a, a future element to it with respect to the Day of Atonement. Mankind doesn't even know how much mankind needs to be liberated from Satan's hold 
The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, as uh, it talks about in the general epistles. We come to Leviticus 25 and, and come to this time that's 50 years into the counting of, of, of years, and it's the time of the Jubilee. And, and the Jubilee, uh, we'll look at verse 8 and read through verse 17. Leviticus 25, verse 8, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. You shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. And you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you'll consecrate the fiftieth year. And on that day, and you think, okay, well, why, why is... Why is this a jubilee? Why is it happening on a day which we afflict our souls? I believe, again, because it, it speaks to the meaning of the future of, of, of what the Day of Atonement means as, as mankind is freed from the influence of Satan the devil. You shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land. And to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own possession, and each of you shall return to his family. I, I think about the, the impact of Christ's return and Israel being brought back into the land. And, and, and as at, in that process, at what point is, is Satan and his demons uh, grabbed hold of and thrown into the abyss, and the liberation that will be felt. The liberty, not only from, from that evil being and his influence as he uh, grasps at us now, but, but for all of mankind to recognize what that influence is and also to begin to realize the liberty that will be taking place as God's way is taught. The, the truths of God, you shall know the truth. The truth, finally to understand the truth, mankind will begin to get that and the truth will make them free. Verse 17, therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the eternal, your God. The glory of the King of Kings, Jesus the Messiah, at that time, as he returns to this earth, as we've talked about in the Feast of Trumpets, he comes down to Jerusalem, and his glory fills Mount Zion. Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It fills that as he reigns in Jerusalem. Mankind will begin to experience, they will begin to come into the presence of the King. And the sons of God, spirit beings, God's family, his spirit offspring, the joint inheritors with Jesus Christ, shining like the stars forever, as Daniel says. Those individuals will be there serving with him as kings and priests. The truth, justice, the light begins to spread to all the earth as the millennium progresses. Hold that thought. Let's, let's go keep the feast now. <laughs>